to the Retail Transformation Show with me, Oliver Banks. This is your weekly podcast, delivering you the insight, ideas, and inspiration to successfully change and transform in our ever-evolving world of retail. Enjoy listening. Hey there, welcome to the Retail Transformation Show. My name is Oliver Banks. I'm your host, and I am a change and transformation specialist working with retailers to define and deliver complex changes and identify the ideal operating models and bring those into reality, driving profitability and improved customer experience. Thank you so much for tuning in. This one is episode 218, number 218. And here we are at the end of 2022. For much of the year, as I'm sure you remember, the retail market, and life in general for that matter, has been set against a backdrop of growing inflation and the corresponding cost of living crisis. And of course, let's not forget, still for some of the world, the COVID challenges rumble on too. But as we do approach the end of the year, I always enjoy a little look back at how the retail industry has evolved. What are some of the big transformation plays that we have seen this year? So we're going to step through month by month, and I'm picking out a few of my favourite stories that we've seen evolve this year. Now, of course, throughout the year, you can keep track of how the retail market is evolving, how it is changing. What are those transformation stories as they happen. And the best way to do that is simply to subscribe to the Retail Transformation Briefing. Now, if you're not already subscribed, then you are missing out. This is my weekly email newsletter, which covers off key headlines from around the changing world of retail. New trials, new experiments, new partnerships, as well as key trends, themes and insights as they happen. You can sign up to the Retail Transformation Briefing completely for free at obandco.uk slash 218, where you will find the show notes for today's episode. So that's obandco.uk slash 218. So are you ready to dive into our whistle stop tour through the past 12 months? Kraken. Let's start, of course, with January. And in January, we saw two big high-tech retailers in JD.com and Ocado developing new automation separately. JD.com focused on expanding into Europe with physical stores heavily automated so that customers can either go into the store or via the app, order food, homeware, clothing and more, and the physical store will automatically pick and pack your order and ready it for collection. Meanwhile, Ocado revealed they have been working on a whole load of innovations, including robotic arms to speed up the picking process and minimise their robot travel across their grids. They've also been experimenting with 3D printed robots and other software improvements too. And as we look through the rest of the year, loads of other companies have been making great developments 
with warehouse automation. Walmart, Macy's, Amazon, and loads of others have really focused in on automating or further automating their warehouses, their distribution centers, their fulfillment centers, and stock movement in general. And this is a great approach because automation delivers many benefits, both in terms of labor saving and productivity, but it also removes a lot of the tough manual work that is involved with a retail operation, easing it so that people can do the tasks that people are best at. Let's move on. In February, we of course experienced the start of the Ukraine war. Now, this, of course, captured attention across the world. And the retail industry was, of course, impacted heavily. As you know, we saw almost immediately that many retailers made significant shifts to their business, either pausing their Russian operations, selling the stake in their Russian company, delisting products, cancelling contracts with Russian suppliers or with Russian retailers. And of course, there were many impacts to supply chains and stock availability. And of course, it's inspired many other challenges from the energy crisis, fuel crisis, and the wider cost of living crisis, of course. And it again goes to show, as the COVID pandemic did, the increasingly global, hyper-connected world that we live in and that the retail industry is a part of. And consumers more and more recognize this. And consequently, the focus for retailers is to think, how can I be more resilient to these challenges? How can I have backup supply chains? How can I focus in on local sourcing so that I am less impacted by a global situation? Okay, let's move on. In March, we had the first Metaverse Fashion Week. This digital event featured many major brands like Dolce & Gabbana, Selfridges and Tommy Hilfiger. But notably missing was Gucci, who have been innovating and experimenting with a number of different digital fashion concepts, as well as metaverse stores over the past couple of years. And actually, we've seen many experiments from lots of different companies trying to get their proverbial land stake on the metaverse, right? And many of these, like I say, experiments have been through computer gaming channels. Roblox has been the most common, but also we've seen Minecraft, Fortnite, racing game Gran Turismo and The Sims, as well as lots of different metaverse stores or digital stores across a whole range of platforms. These initiatives have, of course, been slightly different but most have focused still on selling digital clothing for avatars, as well as access to limited edition or exclusive real clothing that you can pick up in the real world. And there's been a heavy load of experience and fun games. However, when I think of the metaverse, a key element is around community. And across many of these different initiatives, I don't think we've seen the full development of what that community around a brand, around a retail company could look like. So I'm going to be looking forward to seeing how that develops going into 2023 and whether we see more 
metaverse experiments and whether it starts to catch on or actually do more and more companies start to think "Mm, a little early let's pause our focus on this and zoom into other more challenging more pressing matters right and then in April moving on from metaverse fashion week and the like in April ironically we saw meta announced their first physical store in California in the US. And this Meta store features smart home devices, smart glasses, VR products, all with a view of helping to introduce and initiate customers into the Metaverse. And the irony, of course, is that we need physical stores to get into the Metaverse. But the important underlying theme here is, of course, the importance of Omnichannel. And the fact that in this increasingly complex multi-channel world that we live in, it's still critically important to think about how you can engage and appeal to your customers wherever they are in the best format for doing whatever that mission is that you want to achieve, whatever that purpose is. And Meta sensibly decided that a physical store would be a worthy trial as they look to encourage more people to get online and slip on the proverbial VR goggles. In May, Zara started to charge customers for making online returns. And a number of other companies have since followed suit, adding returns, charges, and really looking to recoup some of the impact that this has on an e-commerce operation and business model. Now, I'm sure you know, returns has been a long-standing challenge for many e-commerce retailers or for many omni-channel retailers looking to grow their e-commerce offering. But online returns remain a key cornerstone for customers as they are trying to make the decision of where to spend their precious and hard-earned cash. And it's a bit of a catch-22, this situation. Should you charge for returns or not? Yes, there absolutely are some customers that partake in the act of wardrobing, ordering products online in the knowledge that they're going to try them out and return them. Maybe they're going to try and chance it, wear it out to a party, whatever. But at the point of ordering, that particular customer knows they are going to be making full use of that free return. But equally, other customers end up making returns because there just isn't sufficient information or good quality information, whether that's words, sizes, images, videos, whatever, on the website. They cannot make a full decision without really seeing and holding the product. And yes, you might say, oh, well, that's what stores are for. And it's true. But again, to have a convenient access to store, you've got to have a pretty large store network. And for some brands and some retailers, It's just not feasible, especially if they want to carry their entire range. So returns is going to remain a key decision point. Interestingly, I actually experienced a slightly different returns proposition recently where I saw the opportunity to buy returns insurance. This was an additional £1 charge at checkout that meant I could access free returns. Now, for this particular order... I was slightly unsure whether I wanted it and I did opt for this returns insurance and ended up liking the product that I received so I didn't make use of it. But it felt actually quite fair. Certainly if I did want to return something, 
not having to pay a big sum would be a really welcome use of that small surcharge. So will we start to see more examples of a returns insurance? Maybe. Research carried out earlier in the year suggests that 71% of consumers would try to avoid shopping online with a retailer if they know they are required to pay the postage for returns. But equally, 29% of consumers, therefore, are not that worried by it. So it's going to be interesting to see how this develops. And it's going to be interesting for you to understand where do your customers sit on this spectrum? Do they accept paying for returns or are they expecting free returns no matter what? Moving on, in June, we saw a development of one of the biggest retail transformations that I think is going around across the whole world at the moment. John Lewis, the department store, announced they had confirmed three locations as they look to pivot into building houses and renting apartments. Now, this really is a fundamental transformation for a company that has been trading for over 150 years as a retailer. And after announcing these initial three locations, John Lewis has gone on to announce a partnership where they are going to be working with a construction company for the next 10 years, building out hundreds and thousands of homes across these sites. And they're on the lookout for more sites as well. So it'll be interesting to see how this retailer evolves and transforms going forward and where the focus lies and whether it starts to split apart into different companies, one focused on retail, one focused on house building. In July, a few different stories caught my attention in particular. Firstly, Nike had a positive set of results and they attributed their 18% growth in their digital business down to the growth of their consumer apps. Now, this is both their classic shopping app, as well as new developments in their sneaker app and their training apps and their wellness apps. And I think to see such positive growth attributed to these different initiatives shows the opportunity. Nike have been at the forefront of developing their brand and, of course, been on this whole journey of making the brand more exclusive again. And I can see how they can develop this further and introduce more subscription models and so on as you get access to the different parts of their ecosystem. And dividing out by different apps is a neat way of almost auto-segmenting customers, right? So you know whether a customer is going to be interested in wellness-related products if they've got the wellness app, if they subscribe to different wellness programs, for example. And I think we'll see more and more developments in apps. And I'm certainly remembering the conversation that I had with Ian Hobson from Chargebox back in episode 206, where we were talking about any form of phone application. Is it useful? Is it actually useful? Which sounds like such a basic question, but I think we can all recall examples of different companies releasing features or apps that perhaps are not so useful, right? Also in July, we know how important data is, and we saw a number of different retailers lay out their plans for developing data knowledge in their companies. 
Decathlon opened a data lab to act as a company collaboration initiative and also as an incubator for new digital and data innovations. Meanwhile, ASOS extended their data academy with a number of different programs to help train and develop data science and analytical skills within the company. And Boohoo ran a data bootcamp for teenagers as part of their community strategy, as well as, I'm sure, highlighting future talent. And other companies have, of course, run similar initiatives as well. So I do suspect we'll see more and more data-based initiatives to develop talent or find talent going forward. August. Amazon have been one of the standout retailers from the past couple of decades, really. But this year, a few cracks have started to emerge. In August in particular, they paused the UK expansion of their checkout-free fresh stores. They had lower than expected sales. And it has been reported that they cancelled discussions with a number of different landlords for future sites that they were looking at. And they've backed out of those unless contractually obliged, of course. Now, they haven't stopped trading the fresh sites, which suggests they're taking a time to pause, reflect, and transform their operation and their business model. And that's what Amazon do, right? They test and they learn. And this is a period where they're saying, let's learn. Let's see what's working, what's not, and look to evolve. And that's smart, in my opinion. Also in August, Amazon pulled out of their major healthcare offering, Amazon Care, where they were offering virtual appointments with doctors and nurses. And they also announced, certainly in the US and Canada, a peak surcharge for their Fulfilled by Amazon FBA items, where the company said previously they took the hit and now they are passing that on to their various suppliers. But it wasn't just August that was challenging for Amazon. Also this year, they've announced the closure of all of their physical bookstores and their somewhat eclectic four-star stores. And instead, they're going to be focusing in on fashion stores, department stores, and of course, the grocery market too. They announced an increase in their prime subscription costs. They've faced a number of different industrial actions at distribution centers. They've stopped their Scout robot deliveries the little robots that take grocery deliveries direct to your door. So they've been trialing that. They've stopped that and let the team go. They've also downsized significantly, and in particular, in their Alexa team, where the once heralded voice retail hasn't quite taken off yet. And all of these really show us that this mega retailer is experiencing some relatively extreme challenges right now. Of course, they still have some highly profitable parts to their business. In a consumer-facing world, their media business continues to go from strength to strength. And of course, in their business-facing world, they offer a number of different high-margin services, most notably AWS. I, however, remain convinced that there's much more to see from Amazon. This is not the decline that some might hope for. <laughs> I think we'll see this test and learn strategy coming out in strength. And I believe all of these are the fact that they're comfortable experimenting, they're comfortable as a company to pursue an initiative to see if there is an opportunity there. And if there is not, they're not overly precious to stop 
pursuing that avenue. Pull back if it's not working, right? Let's move on. In September, Selfridges announced they wanted to set a target for 2030 that half of their transactions are going to be for resale, repair, rental or refills. This is a major sustainability development. And all of these different business models are really important for the future of the world, in my view. And we've seen loads of other retailers announce, in particular, resale marketplaces or initiatives this year. And it really shows the growth of these different business models. But there are key considerations, especially when it comes to the operating model, because whether it's resale or repair or rental or refills, there are a number of new process steps, new system requirements, new propositions, new metrics, new success factors that all need to be defined, all need to be put in place. And you might like to go and listen to episode 181 for this one, where I was looking at six new business models driven by sustainability, such as resale or repair or rental. Now, in October, Walmart announced their creator program. This is a platform to encourage individuals, not Walmart employees, individuals to create content in exchange for commission on product sales. This is a major influencer program where they are looking to grow through micro-influencers, each making recommendations to friends or to social media audiences. And this is coupled with the fact that earlier in the year, Walmart announced a deal with video shopping platform Firework, who focus in on making shoppable videos and shoppable live streams much more accessible. And both Walmart and Amazon have been continually experimenting this year with influencers, media, content, in particular shoppable video content, both live streaming and on demand. And I think we'll start to see an explosion, similar to how we've seen an explosion of marketplaces, we'll start to see an explosion of influencer-led content as well for retailers. In November, discount retailer Primark launched their long-awaited click and collect offering as they finally moved away from physical stores only into an aspect of multi-channel, right? And they've announced that digital development remains a key priority for the future. And whilst some may think this has been long overdue, others are absolutely going to be cautious on how this affects their business model. Now, at the moment, it's a click and collect only offering, which of course eases aspects like returns and even customer acquisition costs. But above all, for me, this story that Primark have finally got into click and collect is proof that it's never too late. It's never too late to change. It's never too late to transform. If you have the intent, if you have the will, whatever the situation, and Primark were of course lucky to be in a very positive situation overall, but you can change, you can continue to evolve. And I encourage you to take that opportunity to evolve, to transform. And it's always a pleasure to work with and support retail clients that are looking to change and transform, that recognize the need. And I work either on a consulting basis or on an advisory basis there to 
coach and develop and enhance the effort and drive successful transformation of the operating model. And if you'd like to reach out and discuss how we could work together to enhance your transformation programs, then email oliver.banks at obandco.uk and let's find some time to talk and explore what's going on and how OB and Co can help. And then on to December, of course. And at the end of the year, there've been a real flurry of acquisitions. Perhaps this is the great retail consolidation where we'll see the huge volume of different retailers and choices that customers have begin to contract a little. Maybe it's just natural market fluctuations, but either which way, we've seen a massive growth in acquisitions And I suspect we may continue to see that early in 2023 too. But stumping up the cash is, of course, only one part to making a successful acquisition. And this was something that I explored in episode 215 called Making Acquisitions Successful. And also in there, I detailed some of the more recent notable acquisitions. So go and check that one out if you'd like to hear the huge volume of acquisitions late on in the year and some sizable ones at that. And that brings us bang up to date. Was I missing a big retail story that you hoped to hear? Or which was your favourite? Do reach out on LinkedIn. It would be great to hear from you. Which transformation story has inspired you the most this year? Refresh your mind of all of the different stories we've touched on today over at obandco.uk slash 218. And of course, sign up for the Retail Transformation Briefing too, where you can catch all of these trends as they develop. It's absolutely free, so there's no reason not to sign up. obandco.uk slash 218. And you'll get that Retail Transformation Briefing into your inbox every single week. And if you're looking for some additional podcast episodes to tune into as well, we've made a few recommendations as we've gone through, but here are three to get you started. In episode 200, I took a look at the eight ever trends of retail. These are key themes that are always present and you've heard some of them today for sure. So do go and check out episode 200. Then in episode 216, I asked the question, what should we learn from the disruption of 2022? And then finally, in episode 207, number 207, in the face of challenges around quick commerce and checkout free stores, I asked the question, is retail transformation failing at present? So those are three episodes there. I'll put all three links on the show notes for you at obandco.uk slash 218. And all that's left for me to say is thank you for tuning in. Thank you for your support through 2022. And I wish you a very happy new year and a happy 2023. Thanks for listening. Bye.